<clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's Your Mess? Mental, Emotional, Social Status of Life. And I am your host, Tracy D. Armstrong. And again, we have another special guest, and I'm going to just let him introduce himself. Yes, I am Antonio T. Smith Jr. I am a super fan of Tracy. Anything good about me is because Tracy exists, and I'm so excited to be on this show. That's who I am. <laughs> well, welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome, Mr. Antonio T. Smith Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, so glad to have you. And I am going to just start by saying I know a little bit about some of the messes and the situations that you've been through and you haven't always been the Antonio that you are now. So <laughs> let's just start off and let's open it up with telling the listeners a little bit about you and your mess. Well, born 1981, 1985, crack cocaine comes through the neighborhood and my parents can no longer legally, morally, or ethically keep me. So they gave me up. I don't mean any disrespect towards them, but, you know, they, they, they did what they had to do. And uh, I come from where crack cocaine was more prevalent than bottled water. As a matter of fact, if you had bottled water in the hood, you was rich because we didn't have that. There was no, we drank out the fire hydrant, I mean, not the, the water hose and the tap, you know, in, in the kitchen and things like that. So I grew up homeless from five to 15. I felt the fifth grade and the sixth grade. I ended up meeting a pro-black speech and debate coach, Coach Michael Merritt, one of my heroes, that convinced me to join the speech and debate team. So from there, I actually went to state and speech and debate. Apparently, I can put words together well. Got accepted to every college in the state of Texas and rejected all that, went to the Army. Find out that I had a genius-level IQ in Army, became counterintelligence for the United States Army, and the rest is history. From there, I learned how to use all that to become me. Okay. Well, 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 well. You <laughs> literally just unpacked <laughs> so much in that little snippet right there. Les Brown so, trained me to tell my story in three minutes. So <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm about to see. Okay, let's go. Let's start with, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back, okay. back, back, back. Let's go back to where you said from five to 15, right. you were homeless. Yeah. How did, yeah. how, let, let's start with that one. How did that affect you mentally? Well, I don't, okay, that's a great question. I'll, I'll answer how I became homeless and, and then how it affected me mentally. Because when they, the first thing happened was my mom or my, no, it's my dad took me to my grandmother's house, his mom's house, but I didn't know those people and they were mad at my mom. So I ran away and then running away, they found me and took me to my mom's mom's house. So my other grandmother and they was mad at my dad. So I didn't know those people. So I ran away. So this is how I became homeless. I kept running away because I'm six years old, five years old, and I don't really know what to do. I just, I'm, I'm still me. So I'm still fiercely independent. So that happened. So what it did to me mentally was it made me go through this period 
of if you you can't love me because my mom don't love me right you're right you you can't love me because my dad don't love me and when you and when you grow up homeless because of parents decisions it messes your head up so i was a really bad student not because i was bad of character it was my defense mechanism to keep bad adults away from me i knew if you can get past this attitude I have, then you were a real person. So I walked around just testing adults to see who's going to hurt me or not by pricking you first, right? So that's how it all affected me mentally. Oh, and one more thing. It made me terrible in relationships as I got older because when you have issues with your mother, you have issues with women. Well, that, and I, I was just about to, I was just about to flow into the emotional part because... <laughs> What you just said, if you have issues there and it affected you with your relationships. So emotionally, you mentioned love. You felt like you were not loved by your mother or your father. So you felt like you didn't know how to love. Can you talk a little bit more about the emotional part of that? Love didn't even exist. It wasn't a word. It wasn't even a kind word. It wasn't a reality for me because and it, it makes sense, though, because the, a child's first experience of love, good or bad, is going to come from his parents or her parents. So when that was taken from me, even on my psychological, like I've been in therapy, so I'm 42 years old. I've been in therapy for 37, 36 years of my life. It's probably why I'm so level-headed because therapy, right? But, but real talk, from, from CPS custody therapy to the military therapy after that, I've been in therapy most of my life, at least 77% of my life. And on my psychological report, it says he's not nurturing because he was never nurtured, which makes sense. It does make sense, right? It, the antisocial personality disorder makes sense. And, and even one psychologist even asked, well, are you an introvert? Because while I have extrovert skills, I'm absolutely an introvert. I, I, people drain me. And he challenged, he was like, are you an introvert? Or is your antisocial personality disorder so strong that it's disguising itself as introvertedness? You know, so all these things happen and pop up. At the end of the day, emotionally, I was crippled because when the first household, which is the first ministry that you have is broken, it cripples you, period. And this is where disorders come from. You have to suffer from something from a child and carry it into adulthood. So I was crippled. There's no doubt about it. Hmm. Because then if you were crippled, so do you feel like that was from the, from the six, at six years old? Do you think that was when that started? Well, for sure it did. Because I, I think, so I got, so I'm, what am I? Uh, six years old at that time. 47 pounds, 57 pounds. And so I get molested out there. And so I'm homeless. And so now you got these, these two guys. So now you're talking about, I'm a boy. And I got these guys molesting me. So now that messes my head up. And then it's happening because my parents don't, aren't raising me. So that's messing my head up. And so you, so many different things. And then I'm not gay. But then these guys are messing with me. So that's messing my head up. And then, and that's at six. And when you have nobody to talk to, that becomes trauma. Right? 
like 66% of the people who have trauma have nobody to talk to. So now I'm six years old. I'm, I'm going through all this stuff. I don't know what to do. I can't tell nobody. And then I'm black. I can't go to the cops. It just is what it is. So that, that's just not, that's not even an option. So there's nothing to do. Plus I got to eat. And plus this is my place to live. So it's just, it's a big spiral from there. And, and that I was going to just ask, because if it's spiral, so then socially, like, is there even, that was your social, like, explain how your social aspect was if, like, if you're on, like, you're literally in on the streets? Yeah, yeah, I'm on the streets on 44th and Ball and also Winnie in Galveston, Texas. I wind up, there was this, this is building it's not there no more. Well, it's there. The property is there, but it's, it's changed. It's like the government building now, but it used to be called Golden Globe. And it was this big paper manufacturer or something. And it had a dumpster, a city dumpster with a bunch of paper in it. And when you're homeless and it's cold outside, you can actually insulate your clothes with paper. So I did all that, but I used to live inside that little dumpster. That Well, it's not a little dumpster. You know, the ones, the big old truck pull up, and, you know, the big brown one, you know, you know the big one that you got to climb into and all the stuff like that. So that's where I was. But to answer your question, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm outside. So my social life, I have none because I smell like mop water. I can't take a bath. My teeth are as yellow as an orange and that's not, that doesn't even make sense. Like, you know, they're so yellow, they become orange. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? And my hair is, is nappy, which, it's great in today's society. In the eighties, you can't you can't be dark skinned in the eighties. You like come on now, it's a whole different time. You know, you, if nappy is cool now. We get the hair and we nap it up like this with the things. But in the eighties, that was a death sentence. It was an absolute death sentence. But I smell like mop water. My hair is nappy, and I got no friends in school. Yeah, and, and I had to put myself to square to forge my mom's papers. And so, yeah, no social life at all. I got in fights in school, suspended. That's why it's, it's it eventually caught up with me. In Galveston in the 80s, you didn't have homework until the fifth grade. It was elementary, then they would call it intermediate school, fifth and sixth grade. And then you went to middle school, seven and eight, and then you went to high school. I think they, they kind of changed it up now. So when I got to fifth grade, got homework, I failed the fifth grade and the sixth grade back to back because there's no electricity. There's no one telling me to do homework. And you can't tell a homeless kid to go home and do homework because I got to go home and survive. Okay, okay, pause, time out. <laughs> How are you going to school? Yeah, so in Texas, which you know, you're in Texas, we have, you, you get the little paperwork. So I forged my mom's signature. I have no idea how they didn't realize this little cursive or whatever it was. It said Linda Faye uh, McAllister. I probably spelled McAllister wrong for God's sake. Who knows? But I forged the paper. And what I would do to pass is I would check corporal punishment. It was, it was, because nobody's going to, to your audience, in Texas, we got corporal punishment. That means you get whipped in school, all right? Uh, Coach Bamberg, come get that paddle and, and, and get you. That's a real person, by the way. <laughs> that's a real person. <laughs> so so I, that's what I did. Every year, I forged those papers and was just going to school. It was, at first, school, 
I wasn't going to, I was not going to school because I needed to go to school. That's not what it was. I never went to school ever because I wanted to. I have a master's degree now and I never went to school because I wanted to. I actually hate school, by the way. From first grade to sixth, fifth grade, I went to school because I was running away from my molesters. So just, just to be clear. Fifth, sixth, well, fifth grade, when I failed, I dropped out of school. And then I dropped out of, well, no, fifth grade, I, would, I go to summer school and pass. I go to summer school and pass. Sixth grade, I fail, and I, I don't go to summer school. I drop out. So I'm like, F it. You know, I drop out. I, I genuinely have to repeat the sixth grade. I graduated late. I drop out. So in sixth grade, I got super hungry because I wasn't processing. Food fed me twice a day. So now when I, so I undropped out of school, not because I thought it was right to do, because I was hungry. <laughs> so, so K through 12, I'm in school running from molesters or I'm in school because I can't eat. This is why I went to school. And this is the plight of poverty and people in poverty. And the, the pandemic exposed that when, when school had to be at home and you told some 14 year old kid, to get on camera, but they're babysitting their six-year-old and their seven-year-old because their mom's at work, right? Or something like that. Anyway, there you oh, go. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know, most definitely. You saw it first hand. And they had cameras. The cameras on and people walking through the back and, yeah, or don't even get on because they couldn't exactly. for whatever reason. Yeah, well, most definitely. Yeah. And so, like, there's no need of me even to ask about your status of life, but what I, I do want to know is how did you go from, because you mentioned yep. that, like, you went into high school and then, you know, you did debate and things got better, I'm assuming, yep. because of where you are now. But how did you get out of that situation? So things never got better until I was adopted at 15 or 14. One of them. I think well, it was 14, but it was my 15th birthday. It was it's kind of weird because it was on the... It was like the 19th and I turned, it was my birthday present. I got adopted. That's why I always, sometimes I say 14, 15. It only got better when Lorraine Temple Smith and Lucy Elizabeth Smith adopted me, which is my, Lucy is my dad's biological sister and my dad's, my dad's mother. So my paternal grandmother adopted me. When they found out what was going on between me keep getting arrested for truancy, another Texas stupid thing. You know, because when you're, don't even get me started on Texas and its government. Okay, don't even get me started on that. But so I kept getting arrested. When they found out, they put me through an adoption process. My parents had to give me up. Okay, there's a lot in this question here. Rem don't let me, remind me, I don't even know how long your podcast is, but remind me to tell you how I got here. Because when you asked that, it was, it's a three-part answer. It's a three-part answer. And it involves God, and I'll put that in air quotes, it, it involves God. So don't let me, but just know we're going to Cat Williams. Uh, we're going to Cat Williams this, this podcast. So you, when we get there, I'm going to start some trouble. So, <laughs> okay, start some trouble. But anyway, so it never got better. It just got, I got stronger, but through ignoring all the red flags. You get what I'm saying? So it, it, it's to this day, 
I don't understand how to fail. I probably fail all the time. I don't know. Everything I do works, but it's not because I'm smart. It's because I just ignore the red flags of failure. I just keep going and I keep going and I keep going until the result is forced to show up the way I want it. And that is how I got through my childhood. I couldn't see, and I wrote this in my first book, 2014. You don't have to buy it. I, I give it to you out for free. 2014 called Keep Walking, how God worked in my logic. I couldn't see 24 hours a day. I can only see 10 minutes at a time because I wanted to kill myself every single day. Every single day it was hard, but every 10 minutes, I would just plow through that 10 minutes and then plow through the next 10 minutes. So that is an attribute today that they call me a good leader, relentless for it, but it comes from extreme homeless childhood trauma. <laughs> so what was trauma then, they reward me for it today. So hopefully that, that helps right there. And then I'll, I'll answer the other questions as you, I don't want to dominate this section, but I'll answer the other questions as you keep going. <laughs> no, that's, man, like you kept going, you plowed through. Plowed through. And the fact that like you said, you know, you, you, you didn't want to live, but every 10 no. minutes you would just keep going through. And it's true, like all that, though, those tough times and those moments have caused you to be this leader because you've been relentless. But from getting adopted, yep. how did that change? I mean, of course it changed your status of life because now you're not just trying to survive. Yep. Now you're actually with adults that are like telling you what to do. Yep. Or like, how did that change the whole situation? So the adoption was the worst thing that ever happened to me and the best thing that ever happened to me at the same time. You have to, so what makes me have an advantage over people, and I, I don't mean to disrespect anybody, is my parents were not there. I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. I tell everybody this here and they always go, they go, you crazy. And then they think about it and go, you know what? You got a point. My parents never jacked me up. Sure, they messed me up. They absolutely messed me up in those circumstances. But my parents never told me money don't grow on trees. I never heard it before. They never, they never told me I wasn't pretty. They, they never told me you act like your daddy. I never heard a single negative thing from my parents while growing up because they wasn't there. It's y'all who grow up with your parents that's jacked up because you got the mother issues and the father issues. I don't have them. So when I'm going through the homeless era, I just think I could do anything. It's not, it's, it's not impossible for me because every day I, I got up from five years old, I had to be extraordinary to survive the day. I've been extraordinary, extraordinary my entire life, not because I tried to be, the circumstances forced me to be, and no grown folk ever told me, you can't do this. And I really, 100%, through all the therapy I've been through, 100%, that is truly my tactical advantage over most people, because most of y'all are jacked up, because your parents have jacked you up. And then going into the adoption, that now they're... To hear you say it was one of the worst things, you would uh, think people would it, say, what? Like, yeah, they, they, the they took you in. 
But they tell me what what made it work. Rules, rules. I'm a Neanderthal. I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been homeless from five to fifteen. Now you telling me when you leave here, you need to call. You know this is the eighties. Well, this nineties now, right? You got, you got called. You need to call this house before you go somewhere else. No, the I do. No, I don't. Right? So I can't handle these rules and these restrictions because no, like no, don't do me like that. Because I'm grown. I'm not trying to tell you I'm grown or I wanted to be grown. But you're just going to have to accept the fact that by the time I'm 15, I'm 30-something. I've been making my own money since six. By the time I was 18 in real life, I was six figures. I bought my first car at 15. I bought my first car. At so when I got adopted, I, got, I brought my first car at 15. And my grandmother, she couldn't stand it. It's like, you can't have a car. You can't have a car if you're not even old enough to drive. First off, that's what you do in the hood. You get you a car and you don't have a license. So this ain't new to me. <laughs> this, this ain't new to me. <laughs> this, is, this is how we do it. So she got mad at me. So what I did, I, I bought the car for $800. Now, y'all got to gotta adjust for inflation. Uh, you got to adjust for inflation. That's something like $3,000 a day, okay? So I, I bought the car for $800. From Silvio, dude name was Silvio. Real talk. I bought the car, it was a cutlass. I bought the car for eight hundred dollars, and then she got mad at me, so I flipped it the next day for twelve hundred dollars. Uh, so I sold it for twelve hundred dollars with no title exchange, none of that stuff. We ain't do all that in the hood, you know, all that stuff like that. This is who I am. So when you tell me that I need to act like these damn kids in here, because my grandma, you know, your grandmother house. Got other kids in there, you know, like everybody, mm-hmm. all her eight kids, all her kids. Did. These kids ain't never been through nothing. They still playing with dolls and, and video games. And man, I'm, I'm trying to make this money. We're not the same. So when you tell me I got to respect this little whiny little cousin, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. So it was the worst thing to happen. And I did not appreciate it until I was in the army. I didn't appreciate my grandmother at all. I gave her hell from 15, 16, 17, and 18. She put me on social security. I got I got a check from her every month from when she adopted me. I got her social security. I think they gave me $800 a month. I gave it, I just, I paid bills in the house. Like she didn't force me to. I just did that. That wasn't appreciation. I just didn't need her money. Don't see, don't, don't confuse my actions with my motives. Don't, don't, don't confuse that. My actions looked like I was doing the right thing. My grown folk in me was like, I don't need this. Huh? How you want me to help you? Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't until I was in basic training, 18 years old, in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. She had a stroke. And I got, we got the, I got the emergency call. I don't know how they do it through all the channels, but I got the emergency call. We, in the, we somewhere. And I got the call. And I start crying. Now, keep in mind, Tracy, I ain't cried since I came out the womb. So I'm trying to figure out why am I crying? And I realized this lady was very important to me, but it took her to have a stroke. You get what I'm saying? And then by the time we got the basic training, she had another stroke. And by that time, she couldn't talk no more. And she just spent the next eight years as a vegetable or something like that, which pissed me off. But that's a whole different problem between me and God. But you know, maybe that'll come up. But you get what I'm saying? So this is, this, I was so freaking ungrateful that these two women, She's on the person with birth certificate because Texas ain't letting two women get on the birth certificate. Now, this is still Texas. Now, come on now. 
Come on now, don't don't act like, don't act like this ain't Texas. All right, Texas ain't putting two women on the first. You crazy as hell. You think Texas put two women on the first? We ain't doing that. I was ungrateful. I didn't care because it's how I survived. It wasn't. It's not that I was mean. Hope was dangerous for me growing up. To care for people was dangerous for me. The, when I when I had hope, I got molested. When I cared, I got molested again. So these things are dangerous. So these these words, these normal human behaviors for me, got me assaulted. So when your reward system is jacked up to where good things, lovey things, emotional things get you hurt, then you just grow up. Mm. Not doing lovey things. <laughs> so terrible. No, you should nobody should have ever gotten to a relationship with me then. Nobody. All right. Nobody had serious abandonment issues. God bless everybody who tried. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, and since you said that, let me let me go back because you told me to remind you. So you said to remind you about how God helped bring oh, you through. Lord. Okay, okay, okay. All right. <clears throat> oh Lord have mercy okay keep in mind I don't even I never knew about God till I got adopted <clears throat> I had no concept of God so I'm 15 and my grandmother is like super saint you know it's a little small family church 25 members maybe 50 but she, you know you know, she print the programs <clears throat> she, she got the key to unlock the door she cut on the AC you know what I'm talking about. She got on the AC, so it would be hot. Like she was the deacon. She was the secretary. She she was the number one Taipan member. She was all seven days. When she died, the church died too. I'm just telling you right now. <clears throat> she put it the programs, the funeral program. She had the HB printer. This is 96, 97. Ain't nobody got no HB printers but my grandmother. She had to work 25 years as a nurse to do that. Okay. <laughs> on the whole block, she's the only one with a printer. So she drugged me to church. Oh my God. First off, I thought church was weird. I still to this day still think church is weird. <clears throat> so I got no concept of God. And I get there, y'all talking about eating bodies and drinking blood. So now I'm like, what the hell is going on in here? It's very normal for you Christians, not normal for me. <laughs> in the streets when you eat body and drinking bloods you want that white folk stuff like this is where i come from this is where i come from so so i'm weirded out and my grandmother has this conversation with me one day and she goes well if you you don't believe in god but how you think you survived this far and that's how she would whoop me she would give me these hour-long lectures. I'd be like, grandmother, just whoop me. God, dog it. She would just lecture me for an hour. And I'm an intellectual, and I got to thinking about that. So I started, my first book is called How God Worked in My Logic. Do I believe in God? I spent 12 years pastoring as I got older. My degrees are in... Christianity, Biblical Languages, and Theological Arts of Studies, my Master's in Theological Arts of Studies. I am a Paulinian scholar, a Hebrew scholar, a Greek scholar. I am an Old Testament covenant scholar and a New Covenant theologian. All of these things are true. 
You, you can look it up. And if you ask me, and I've never said this out loud, Tracy, this is a first time breaking news. Does God exist? I'm going to have a hard time telling you that. I, I, say, I tell people all the time, God, this because I speak your language. I speak your language. If I'm a Muslim, I'm going to say Allah, whatever. I speak your language. Here's how I got to everything is perfect. Here's how I became who I am. I use my logic as a teenager, and I'm going, okay, these Christians keep telling me God is a good God. I don't see it. How? How? Because... I've been homeless for damn near 10 years now. So I don't see it. And I'm not even trying to be selfish. I see everybody else homeless. So you telling me God is good. I don't come from where God is good. I, I don't. So then I go, okay, then. So what else does that mean? Then they say, well, God is all knowing. But why the hell God ain't know I was going to be homeless then? This, these are fair questions. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I told you, you go, this, this, when you make these, these little social media snippets, God bless you, child. <laughs> God bless you. So I'm, I'm going, all right. So God clearly is not all-knowing or he is all-knowing. So I don't know which one it is. I don't know if God is good. And I don't know if God is all-knowing. Because my life and what I see is... If God is all knowing, he keep letting this stuff happen. If he keep letting this stuff happen, then God ain't all good. So in my little scientific brain, I start to formulate the thoughts. Well, if God, the only person I told this to is my dad. If God is all knowing, which I'll buy into that, then baby's dying of cancer, I'm getting molested, everybody else is going through bad stuff, so God can't be all good then. This is my brain. This is my brain working. Because if you're all knowing, but Tracy still got to go through abuse, then you ain't all good. This is how my brain is reconciling this. So I sit back, and I fool around, and I go to church, and I disagree with all this stuff. Like, all of it. I'm not trying to disagree. I'm just a little intellectual, grown little kid in a teenage body going, y'all crazy as hell around here. I mean, what is all this stuff? And then as I matured, I say, well, wait a minute. Let me challenge my own thoughts. Okay, so God is not, God is all-knowing, one side. God is all good. So either God is all-knowing and he's not good, or God is good and not knowing. But there's two things from my human eyes, don't exist at the same time. And that's a fact. And I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just critically thinking about what we say. And then I come to a conclusion. I say, well, let me challenge that. And I say, well, there must be a third option there. It must mean that all the stuff that's hanging me up from accepting what I'm being told, then it must mean there's a third option. Nothing's good. And nothing's bad. It just is what it is, which means all of it's perfect. And that is how I got here to understand that whatever's going on is perfect. And it's my perception forcing me to stay homeless or forcing me to get homeless or forcing me not to get out that trash can. And it's through that that I got here. God bless you if I have you whoever you show this video to.
They gonna don't come for me. Just all right, fine. You can come for me. You can come for me. That's fine. I'll be all right. <laughs> Go ahead. That right there. Hmm. That's some very thought provoking words. And you had all these thoughts as a teenager, and these were thoughts that you that were was, challenging. That was half I mean, my problem hey, as a kid. That was half my it, problem as a kid. I was too grown for my britches. That's what they, that's what they would say, right? But yep. I mean, like literally everything that you've just said from that entire story and just your life in general, I'm like thinking about like it's so true how once you got adopted and then you had these rules and then you had these new beliefs trying to be pushed onto you. You know, it is, it would be a challenge to accept this if I've been going through all of these things all this time and now you want me to rules. Like I was just thinking when you were talking, I'm thinking about some of the students that come to school and they're like, you know, you want me to follow rules. I don't even have to follow rules at home and things like that. And I can see as I'm listening, I'm like, I can see how, you know, that and we would say rebellion or whatever, but it's not even rebellion. It's just the fact that you putting something on me that don't fit. <laughs> good man yeah. so, so let me ask you this mm-hmm. what words of encouragement would you give to someone who may be listening who may be going through because literally like you had a lot of different situations that yeah. occurred all within that one particular time and just throughout your life what words of encouragement would you give someone who may be going through the, the childhood trauma and the, you know, even if they may not be homeless and living on the streets, that's just, a, you know, they could still be homeless in other aspects or going through any type of abuse. What would you say to someone who was listening? Stay unarrogantly open. <clears throat> and and I'm going to explain that. See, I'm open to you and your faith and you telling me about God. I'm open to you being an atheist. <clears throat> I'm open to all these things because I realize that the reason why I struggle is because it was in my worldview to struggle. I realized that I, I mean, think I'm just 10 years homeless. I didn't have to spend 10 years homeless. I didn't have to spend 10 years homeless. I ran from from all the temporary. It's like I am literally a product of C. I aged out of CPS. In my, I just did it in my adoption. I didn't have to, and because I was arrogantly closed. So what's arrogance? It's not to receive new information. Whatever y'all got going on in your lives, it's the only thing you know. So your breakthrough, your solution, you believe in God, God's prayers and blessings for you can't even operate in your lives because you only know the struggle. And trust me, you can struggle so long that you identify with that struggle to where it's a part of you. And a lot of people that I know can't even release their struggles because if they do, they have a midlife crisis at 20. Because you've been struggling so long, it's been you. It's who you are. And when all you know is a struggle, you can't release it and let it go. So Tracy's whole podcast, 
ain't working on you. You got to do a hundred more episodes because you are so arrogant. You're not receiving information. And once, if you're, if you got a struggle in your life right now, it's because you're not open to the solution of that struggle. So stay unarrogantly open. <clears throat> I have no problem being proved wrong because I'm never trying to be right. The goal is simply to never miss the opportunities and the breakthroughs coming to me. And I got to be open to them or I'm going to go, my mama don't love me, so you don't love me. That's closed. That's arrogantly closed. It's emotionally arrogantly closed. And I'm using my mama to date Tracy and make her pay my mama's taxes. Tracy ain't got nothing to do with what my mama did to me. But now she in a relationship with me and I'm making you go through what I really want her to go through. Damn, you get it. Unarrogantly open. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I had never heard it like that before. <laughs> like, I'm going to use that, okay? I'm going to use yep, that. It's my all students, you. most definitely. Look, you about to make because, me tie my hair. Me get me like, I'm, gonna... I'm just thinking about what you just said. Because if you're not open for the solution, then you will keep struggling. That's right. And like you said, you you said you had the opportunity to go somewhere, to be somewhere, but you wasn't open to going or you wasn't that's open right. to the answer. Oh man, that's a good one. Being yeah. open. So when open to somebody correcting me. When open mm -hmm. nobody correcting me. When open no grown folk getting in my business. Yep, all that. Unarrogantly open. That's a good one. So the other thing I wanted to ask for those out there listening, I know that you have others, you have different products and you have different services and other ways if someone wanted to connect with you, uh, if you would like to share anything that you have available for the listeners. Right, so the, how you're going to get to me is going to be going through Tracy, but I'm going to tell you everything coming out. We're going to have a great first quarter. We got a couple of video games. We got five video games coming out before March. We've got five AI-powered video games coming out before March. We have a credit repair, debt management, capital raising, finance app coming out uh, end of January, maybe beginning of February, called Phoenix Eon. Then we have a, a spy-level send back and forth messages app that comes out and then we got rhino leg that finally comes out as well so it's going to be one heck of a first quarter by the end of this year without a doubt i should absolutely be declared a billionaire by forbes by the end of this year for sure so that's what we got going how do you get all this information go through tracy go to this podcast leave a leave a little like and a comment a little, little comment stuff and say hey tracy how we get how we get a part of that guy that just tied his hair up in the middle of your question. Right? And then, then we can we can go from there. Okay, okay, okay. I gotta go back real quick. I gotta okay. go back. I gotta go back. Because I can't wrap it up without asking this. Okay. You just said that you plan on being a billionaire by the oh, end yeah. of this year. Oh, how yeah. do you go from being homeless? Being on the streets, uh, being adopted, going, you say you went to the army, 
you say you got master's degrees in, in, in theology and all of those things. How do you go from that to being a billionaire? Period. Like, no doubt. So I became a millionaire in 2016. I'm going to answer a bunch of questions up in here. I only went and got my bachelor's and master's and my minor in Christianity because I got tired of people. I got tired of pastors lying to me. I'm not saying your pastor lies. I'm just saying mine was. I'm not saying yours. I'm saying mine. Okay. Just mine. So I want to go get the truth myself. Man. I want to go get the truth myself only to find out school lying to me too. I'm like, who is telling the truth about me anyway? Bring it down. Let me finish asking these questions. I got here. So I give you the philosophic answer. I give you the esoteric answer. And I give you the practical answer. There are three different, they have one answer, three different worldviews. Philosophically, I got here by never respecting failure. Just having that burning desire that you're going to give me what I want or you're going to have to kill me. Period. That's, it's, it's, period. I don't even know how to explain that more than what I just said. You're going to give me what I want or you're going to have to kill me. And I'm not even addressing that to you, Tracy. I'm saying that to God. Like, God, you know what it is. You, you, you get it. You said, if, if this Christian stuff is true, you said that if I believe that nothing is impossible, show me then, because I believe. You come to the throne of grace boldly. Well, I'm here bold as hell. I believe, right? That, that, that's that philosophical answer. The esoteric answer is, I recognize that there are man's laws and there are these universal laws. And my job is to be in harmony with these universal laws because those are success while accounting for you trying to trip me up in these man laws. And once I got both accounted for, my job is to know the universe as, know, as well as I know the 48 laws of power. Once I do that, oh, it's over. You can't stop me, right? And then the practical answer is I did five things. Number one, I immediately learned how to get attention. You can't get money without attention. Money follows attention. Number two, I start building a following of people who would listen to me and buy from me. Number three, I start listening to those people, what they like about what I do, what they like, what they hate about what I'm doing, what they hate about the products I have, how we can make it better. And then number four, I start selling them what they were complaining about or what they were telling me to fix. And then number five, I learned how to become a great salesperson. So I did those five things practically. Hopefully that answers the whole question. Yes, yes, Being in their own deck. <laughs> <laughs> most definitely. Because I'm just thinking, I was thinking like, as far as your mental, emotional, social status of life, it literally has done a complete 360 from where you were to where you are now. It's a good point. Most people who grow up with nothing are the people who get everything because when, when things have not been handed to you, you fight for it. You learn the steps to get it. And once you know something, it can't be taken from you. Mm-hmm. That's true too. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask. Are there any last words of encouragement or advice to anyone listening? I would normally say move before you're ready is how I normally, but since you done made me with your Oprah tactics say like 15 things I've never said before out loud and it's going to be recorded for millions of people of your fans to see, 
I'm going to tell y'all, if you don't know who you are, don't date until you're 30. And, and I'm, I'm going to give you two reasons why. It, this is only if you don't like where you are. If you like where you are, this does not apply to you. How do you like, how you know you like where you are? You have not complained at all. This, well, this, this is the beginning of the year. And some of y'all are complaining more than you complained last year already. So if you're complaining, if you want more, which is like 98% of the world, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. If you're not in self-actualization. The reason I say don't date before you're 30 is because everybody around you is suspicious. Baby girl, listen to me. They like you not liking your life. Is it, is it, is it, it must, is the camera still on? I got my hair up in a bun right now, I suppose. Listen, listen. If you don't like where you are, the dude or the girl, man or woman, like if, if you're a man, whatever your orientation is, they kiss you in the mouth, they perfectly fine with you underachieving. They are now suspicious. Period. From parents to siblings, this is why all successful people get up and get a new circle. This is exactly why Tracy's Bible said, Abraham, get up and go to a whole different place. I'm going to show you because some folk in earth ain't going to get you to the promised land. So if you are somebody, <laughs> if you are somebody that does not like your life and don't know where you are, the people in your life have allowed you to be there. So this is why you need to eat. I didn't say cut them off. I just said limit your time with them. I'm not preaching separatism. I'm preaching self-love. You got to know if you are overweight, them folk like you like that. If you complain about, I need to lose weight, them folk around you ain't telling you get that cheesecake out your mouth. These folk are good for your life, but not good for your desires and your future. See these folk on Christmas, holiday, Christmas, Mother's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, and whatever, you know, the CME. Well, I forget what it is. I, you know what I'm talking about, dog. Easter. That's what I believe about Easter. You see these folk then on Thanksgiving to Indigenous People Day. See these folk then. You don't need to see them now. That's why you shouldn't date before you're 30, because everybody around you is suspicious. The second reason you shouldn't date before you're 30 is simple. You don't know who you are. So you're just walking around like little Antonio, just with abandonment issues, making people deal with your triggers. Let me tell you something. Your triggers is not my responsibility. And just because you hit my triggers don't mean I need to act upon it. If most of y'all are not dating the person, you're dating their trauma. And until you release that trauma, that person's law of attraction is filtered through their trauma. It's never filtered through their power or their potential. So that's why you end up always dating potential. There you go. <laughs> first of all, I'm trying to wrap up. First of all, <clears throat> first of all, yeah, you should have been for three hours. <laughs> no, I, no, I heard and I read that story about Abraham leaving the land of earth, and I know. And I, I, I never, ever, ever 
potted together like that. Oh my gosh, like for real. Like that is exactly what it said. Get up and leave this land because and leave your kindred. And, then, and leave your kindred. And then you said they good for your life, but not good for your desires. Oh my gosh. Remember is, Lot, Lot, he wasn't supposed to bring Lot. Lot took half, the good half. <laughs> Man, okay, okay. We wrapping up. We wrapping up. The, those were some amazing nuggets. And I've heard the don't day before you're 30 now. Uh, a lot of people are saying that a lot now. Uh, and there's a whole lot of other reasons to you could add to that. But most definitely, most people don't know themselves really. And, you know, you usually grow or whatever, mature more. So as we close. <laughs> we mm-hmm. are gonna wrap it up. Look, we ain't we acting like preachers now. I'm, 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 on, my la- I'm on my I'm on my third clothes. I'm on my third clothes. <laughs> Hopefully, you all, this episode has helped you in some type of way, knowing that all of the things that Antonio um, has gone through, has come through, has come out of. Um, being able to succeed even when things were against him, even when, you know, situations happen, being able to push through and keep going. I want you to know that you can make it through your mess. You can overcome any of the obstacles that you're going through. And hopefully this message can be a message of hope and inspiration for you. And, I love to leave you all with a famous quote that I'm, a, I gotta say, an unknown author, because I need to figure out who, who wrote it, because I say it at the end of every episode. So I need to be giving this person credit. But I like to say, if you want to be sad, think about the past. If you wanna be anxious and worried, keep thinking about the future. But if you wanna be happy, Focus on the present and be grateful for the things that you have today. Thank you, Mr. Antonio, for joining us. And this is Tracy D. Armstrong with What's Your Mess. Have a good one, y'all.